0: The million dollar question, how do entrepreneurs transition from self-employed to owning a business that turns a profit? My name is Chris Waters, and this podcast has the million dollar answer. Welcome to CEO Secrets. Hey guys, it's Chris Waters, welcome to CEO Secrets. I'm super excited to have a special guest on from Chicago. Tommy Choi, welcome to the podcast.
1: Chris, thanks for having me, it's an honor.
0: Man, I'm, I'm super excited to have you on because you know, you're, you're a young person in the industry. You, know, you pivoted to the team model and in four years, you were able to get to 70 million in annual sales. And you did that in probably one of the most competitive markets in the entire United States, um, which is, is a huge accomplishment in itself. But the thing you know, I think is also super cool is that you're, you're a civic leader in your community um you served on the um Yeah, Association
1: of Realtors. Um, yep,
0: Chicago president of the Chicago Association of yep. Realtors. You're also on the advisory board. Um professional
1: network for yeah, yeah N A R.
0: Yeah. So that man, you're you know, like not only are you, you building this huge business, um, you're also, you know, a civic leader given back to the community, which is un- awesome. And then you also are a um uh, an owner in a Keller Williams franchise market center, right?
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Cool, man. Well, let's get into it. When when did you get started in uh, real estate? When, when when did you get going?
1: Yeah, well, I got licensed in uh, two thousand and six, and so okay. um, you know, I I, uh, I was burned out of my corporate job, first job out of college. Worked at a company called CDW, Fortune five hundred tech company, where I made one hundred fifty cold calls to state and local government uh, wow. IT directors, which you can imagine how. Uh, how uh, receiving they were to my calls. Um, that was, that was me being sarcastic. So, yeah. um, you know, I did really well. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's funny. They, they have a formula. They said, if you did X, Y, and Z in three years, you'd be on the path to making six figures. And, um, and I, and I followed that, uh, uh, that path and I was you know making 125 K as like a 24, 25 year old kid bought nice. a condo on the North side of the, uh, of the city, of course, I saved zero dollars because I was, you know, paying for everyone's bar tabs on the weekends and going to Vegas like three times a year for some reason. Um, <laughs> but uh, had fun. But you know what? I uh, I was completely just the first thought I had every morning I woke up was how far away is Friday, and and it was just mentally exhausting. It wasn't a, a path I want to uh, live. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad at a young age I, I was able to 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 get that and and. You know, real estate was was where I pivoted towards. My roommate at the time, who's my business partner, Josh Weinberg, he was working for a developer, and so that's what kind of uh, got me really interested. And then, obviously, purchasing my first home um, really kind of gave me a look under the hood of of what that process looked like. And you know, I thought, you know what, I think I could do this and uh, and make some good money on it. So, um,
0: so you uh, so you came into real estate, and you, I mean you crushed it as a, as a solo agent when you got into the business, yep. right? Like how many, how many, what did your trajectory look like from a home sales perspective, kind of year one, year two?
1: Yeah, you know, that, that first year. So when we went full time, we were, we, we both, my business partner and I, we both juggled uh, um, real estate and our nine to five still to be smart about it. And when we yeah. went full time, it was June 1st, 2007. And uh, you started you know, a boutique brokerage. Exactly. Weinberg Toy Realty. So you went from
0: part-time realtor to broker owner.
1: To broker owner. And you know what? It's, um, I want to say seven months later, the state of Illinois caught on and how dangerous that was. And they changed the (laughs) license law because I think for another 15 hours of class and 20 extra questions on the test, I was able to get, you know, my broker's license, which now is considered your managing broker's license. So we self-sponsored ourselves. Um, but it was, it was, uh, um, right timing, right place, because, it, it, you know, you don't know what you don't know, and and we didn't know much, and we kind of put our heads down and, and did it. I think that first year, we, uh, we closed uh, 20 units and about, like, six, seven million, um, which mm-hmm. was really good, and then, you know, 2008 happened, the entire nation's uh, housing market crashed, and um, that was the biggest blessing um, ever, because, you know it really taught us. Um, we're very experience based learners and, and we got to sink our, our teeth into some really, really deep stuff. You know, I always tell people, you know, it's one thing you've about reading in a book about what it was like selling real estate at that time, but it's another thing to be able to say, Hey, I was face to face with sellers, homeowners at their kitchen table, telling them. You know, I could sell you their home, but it's going to cost them 20 to $30,000 because they're underwater. You know, it's, it's not a fun conversation, but it was one that really helped me accelerate an experience, especially the emotional intelligence side of, of what we do.
0: So you shifted from your boutique brokerage to the team model. I want to understand like, what were some of the, um, you know, things uh, that happened and what ultimately was the light bulb or inflection point? Yeah, cost you to going down the traditional brokerage path and then pivoting to um, the team organizational model.
1: Uh, it's very simple. Uh, I almost died, um, literally. Uh, so we, I was maybe getting four hours of sleep, just burning uh, both ends of the stick here, and um, I had just become a father, um, and I was just grinding, you know. And a lot, and this happens to a lot of realtors when you start to see high levels of success and the money starts to roll in, right? And, and you make your first admin hire and your profitability is through the roof and, and you kind of don't want to give that up because you have grinded so much and you sacrifice so much to get to that path. And uh, we were at that point um, working with buyers and sellers, um, then you know taking care of admin stuff um, at night. Um, and literally one day I remember I woke up and half of my car, I was on the highway, and half of my car was underneath a semi-truck bed.
0: Oh, my and I, gosh.
1: And I had woken up because everyone around me was honking their horn. I had legitimately fallen asleep behind the wheel, and I started to veer. And thank God, I was, I was driving a, a, like a really small a BMW 3 Series. This uh, semi-truck driver knew what was going on and kept pace with me. So I never like went under, he never crushed me. And and as soon as I woke up, obviously I veered back out, pulled over to the shoulder of the highway. Um, and I was in tears. I was just like, what, what the hell am I doing here? You know? And it was literally just exhaustion. I'm like, there's gotta be a better way. And that's literally when, you know, success leaves clues. And, and I met some other KW agents and, you know, this whole, um, the opportunity of, of, of owning a franchise and launching a market center came and that's where um, I really uh, got to look under the hood of, of, of this path to focus mastery and building that team model. It was actually Lance Logan who uh, uh, connected with me and, and spent almost two hours with uh, us on the phone and just really broke down our team and, and our org chart. And so that, that, that was literally the catalyst that, that pushed us into this other yeah. direction.
0: So you're in your boutique brokerage. I mean, you were, you were basically kind of a, uh, it's not like you went out and recruited a hundred agents. You were producing and very busy. And so um, essentially you were like most agents, but you own the brokerage and you ran yourself into a wall and just, and figured out and figured you need, you need to find a way to create leverage for yourself.
1: Well, you know what it was? It was that Chris. And also, um, We were running off, you know, just raw talent, right? We were just doing what was in our blood, right? We were just going at it. So we had zero systems in place. It was just get new business, get in front of new business, convert it, close it, keep going, right? And so um, being able to not just only have that leverage, but also create that system and model in place of what we were doing so that we had it um, in order to scale and and and, and uh, be able to leverage was was the biggest key in our growth. And that mm-hmm. first year when we did that, I mean, we almost doubled. You know, our our um, our production. That's where we jumped from like thirty millions to uh, like fifty five million.
0: You know, for people watching this right now, I know for a fact there are entrepreneurs and people in real estate and plethora of different industries that are like just working their face off like seven days a week. And there, there is a better way. And it, and it starts with leverage and realizing that you can actually find people um, that will do a good job and help you grow the business. And it doesn't all have to be on your shoulders.
1: You know, it's this idea of, you know, the term work-life balance and that it always bothers me when I hear that because, uh, I think it, there's no work-life balance. It's just called life because you have to work in order to live. And so, you know, this concept of time management um, really is something that I think it's, it's a fake term or, or, or at least it should be redefined, right? Because I can't, we can't manage time. I can't say, hey, you know, time, stop. I'm going to go watch Avengers Endgame for three hours. And when I'm done... Let's re- restart and, and continue on with the day. You know, time yeah. is moving regardless, right? Yeah. But the idea of activity management, right? And to your point, we all have 24 hours. So it's what can you focus on within that those hours you have? And in order to scale, you need more human, more people, <laughs> human capital to help you double yeah. up on, triple up on what you're doing within those hours. Yeah, And, that, and that's what, it took us time to really learn that
0: just out of curiosity, what's been, um, i just going through some of the, the basic stuff. What were some of your, your legion pillars for your business? Um, how, how are you getting business for yourself, for your team? And then, um, I've got a lot of other questions around yeah. the, the other pillars.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So for us, for the last 13 years, we fluctuate between 89 to 91% referral based business. So for us, it's about our database. And so it's about the people we know. And so we're, you know, for us, when we're a goal setting, right, we, we know this year, you know, our goal is 200 units, a hundred million. It's not so much we're looking for more homes and properties to sell. It's we understand how many people we need to meet to put into our database and convert into those results. And so for us, our metrics, I'm more than happy to share it. If, and if you want to share with, you know, the, the audience of yours, I'm cool with it, um, our standards are really based around, um, you know, face to faces and and mm-hmm. and and the human interaction. So for us, we are a lead gen model that's on the phone a lot. But for us, we're content. We're we're really committed to getting face to face on a daily basis, breaking bread, right. you know, having coffees or whatnot, because that relationship side is what has really grown our business.
0: What do you feel like the value proposition for the agents that join your team? Because I'd have to imagine it. So one thing I always, one thing I struggle with is, I believe that um, building a business that's highly referral based is hard to scale, because if if you have a bunch of agents on your team, and you know they've developed these relationships, and you train them up, and you coach them, and you give them tech and all these things, you know, there's like a hundred other brokers that'll give them a more favorable commission split, and as time progresses in an agent's career trajectory path. Yeah. you know, your, your value proposition just diminishes, you know, cause like at a certain point, they're not, gonna need the path, they're not gonna need leads from you. They don't need training, they don't need coaching. Like they just, the business comes in because they've done a good job and, and you've yeah. done a good job as a coach and a leader to help them be successful. And so um, how, like, have you thought about on the referral side, like, you know, like how, if you wanna truly exit the business at some point um, right. on the team side, you know, could you do that with the referral systems you have in place?
1: You know, that's a great question. We can, however, in order to your point, in order to scale big, we know that we need more at-bats, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's going to come from, you know, online leads or, or some sort of other, um, uh, system of lead generation. Mm-hmm. I will say for <laughs> why I say we can exit out, um, and still be heavy on the referral basis because we are not at least as Rainmakers, my business partner and I, we are not, um, getting in our own way and, and making sure that we're, you know, touching each of one of these relationships, yep. that system, the team really and our admin team has put into place through what we do, right. Um, following our 36 touch and we're very events uh, based as well. So providing value to our past clients um, through those connections it, it, it's, it's almost working itself, right? So it's not like that I'm the one that's constantly calling everyone and asking for referrals. That being said, though, the value prop for us really, are it's two things. It, it is the leads portion. And what I've learned in the last 13 years is anyone that's looking to join a team, it's really for two things, right? It, it's they want leads. They want someone to put them in the batter's box. And then the second thing, a lot of the times right here is like mentoring and coaching. But I think what that really means is they just want, a proven system that they can just plug into, right? So that they can just focus on converting those leads. So for us, our salespeople that come into the organization, they have a database. A lot of the times these are people that are like two to three years into the business and they haven't seen the levels of success they wanted. And what we've found is that they've really not properly worked their database. And so it's teaching them the tools how to make sure. To stay in front to get as much referrals as they can from that. We're still always outpacing them um, as far as the leads that we're giving them because our database between my Josh and myself obviously is, is huge and, and it's a machine that's running its course with referrals. Um,
0: What's prevented you from stepping out of production? Like why, um, why are you still selling?
1: So that's a great question for me, part of it. Now I, every year I am, I am, you know, slowly stepping away in the sense of um, scaling back the, the amount of volume that I'm doing. Um, part of it is, believe it or not, I, you know, I, I still love the feeling of getting face to face with you at your dining room table and completely dominating you in a conversation and winning your business, right? Part of the lot, of, I do a lot of national speaking. And part of that, for me, the confidence I have on stage is, is relevancy, knowing that I'm still in the trenches with um, the people in the audience here that, that are here to learn. So my evidence of success that I'm sharing is mm-hmm. stuff that's not theoretical or stuff I did 20, 30 years ago. It's stuff that I'm constantly doing.
0: That right. being
1: said, will I be you know taking 50, 60, closing 50, 60 listings a year, You know, two, three years from now? Definitely not. Um, my goal is to scale back from that. Um, However, I still want to be in touch, but that that's that's part of why I'm still still here.
0: Have you had any challenges as you've tried to get out of the production role? Like anything that's prevented you from getting out of the production role? Or is it just simply you enjoy doing it?
1: You know, it's it's simply um I I enjoy doing it. I mean, I'll say in general, even when, you know, my business partner got out of production, um, As we continue to grow, the challenge is always as a a business owner in the real estate industry is obviously your profitability naturally is going to go down. I do think when you're first transitioning out, because it's natural, you know, for someone to be replaced, no one's going to be as good as you. Um, So it's a matter of looking at it as a numbers game, knowing that, well, maybe I need to have three people replace me to to hopefully get to net zero on that. but it's a long game, obviously, right? It's time or money. And it's, it's saying, you know, being on a production, giving this time back for us, you know, my motivation in that is not so I can, you know, kick it on the beach. Um, it's to, you know, focus on other aspects of our business so we can continually grow that.
0: So essentially, one of the biggest struggles is like the, the cat, you know, the income balance of trying to scale out while also maintaining an income. So um, exactly. Yeah. And that and that's definitely a um a challenge because you know, I think I think you've got to kind of decide when you like start a venture. Are you a growth company or are you a profit company? And right. if you want that insane, you know, thousand, two thousand percent growth you hear about, like it's all like going all in. Like you don't right. take anything, you know. So yeah, there's definitely a balance as you're building that bridge. What, um, when you you think about, so like what's cool is like you had this corporate background where you, you like mastered inside sales, like the, you know, uh, client follow-up, you know, best practices for follow-up to convert leads. And so you came into the industry with a really cool skill set, and then, and then obviously crushed it at the outside sales part of getting face to face with people. Right. You know, as you try to like endow that knowledge on salespeople you bring onto your, onto your team. What have, you, um, what have been your big ahas or, or struggles around training other people to you know, implement the same things you have um, learned through experience? Um, what, what's been your biggest struggle around teaching salespeople how to be great?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, here's, I'd say, <clears throat> um, and that was very generous and kind of you of how you described it. I wouldn't say I mastered inside sales. What I mastered during my time in that corporate world, when I was making that 150, you know, cold calls a day, um, to state and local government, uh, IT directors, um, was that I mastered failure <clears throat> really. And more so I overcame the fear of, of, failing. And so I was numb to that. So I knew, right. I adopted this, like I call it the Kanye West mentality where, you know, <laughs> I, as soon as I hang up this phone, I have an awesome life and I get to go back to it. So no matter what you say to me, or if you hang up on me, it's okay because yeah. I have that right. And so, um, that's I think the biggest challenge that we face is as we continue to grow and love on our salespeople is that that fear of of getting getting out of their own way. And part of it is this: you know, there's always this apprehension in salespeople in general to pick up the phone you know, and establish or reestablish that relationship with that person that you're calling to try and gain business from. And there's always a hesitation to to make that ask, whether it is for their business, for a referral, for an introduction. And ultimately, what I've learned is really that fear comes from um, a place where in your head, you're thinking, well, I've really done nothing for this person. So I feel uncomfortable asking them for something. And I think that's a real raw emotion that you have to accept and, and not ignore and, and for us what how we've learned is that we treat relationship because we're so referral based um you know we look at every person we 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 meet with um kind of like an atm machine right meaning you know if you work the relationship right you have a reason to to go to the atm but really yeah. it's it's when you walk up to the atm machine right you have two action items you can either make a withdrawal or a deposit and so that's that's the biggest thing that we teach is that really fig- figure out ways to make deposits into people's lives. So that when you do make that withdrawal, one, you have the confidence because you, you know, like, Hey, I provided value to this person. So it's okay for me to ask something. Mm-hmm. And two, it's accepting of that person saying, Hey, you brought value. What do you need? I want to help you. I need to return this favor. It's, it's human nature, right? Law of reciprocity. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, that's that's getting them over that hump but really breaking it down to to what that what I just explained is really where we've seen the success
0: do you have people that don't get over that hump and the the, the fear of the fear of uh, getting shot down do you have people not get over that
1: yeah, yeah. you know what uh, and we see it a lot with uh, younger like millennial agents and I think part of that what we found is that, they grew up differently than how I grew up, right? They, they're more in a digital world where texting was, it was the first uh, sense of communication uh, versus calling. So a lot of the apprehension we get um, within that group is that they get that, you know, uh, make, them pick up the phone, finally make that dial. And it's, you know, people are wondering what's going, why, why are they calling me? You know why are you so weird you're calling me why don't you just text me or yeah. you know dm me or whatnot and so um yeah. that's been the that's been the challenge with with you know uh, at least for us with working with millennials is, is getting over that fear of like you know what they're gonna think why they're calling them you know you're gonna
0: be right on the edge of a millennial like millennial is what uh-huh. 1980 and early? yes
1: i'm 81 i'm on i'm on that tail end yeah man, 38 years old so
0: yeah uh, you mentioned you have um you have some how how many kids you have i
1: have three girls three daughters oh my god don't tell me that i have two i have two two,
0: (laughs) i have two girls and i'm like maybe the third will be a boy
1: go for it go Go. for it and then you'll you'll uh go for like i did and you'll have three daughters
0: (laughs) so is is number four gonna happen or are you guys done
1: uh, we're done there's no I'm too I'm too afraid of having four daughters um, <laughs> that I don't even I don't even need to I, I don't even want to try it, it's a, such a blessing girl being a girl that is one of the best things I'm sure you, how old are your kids
0: mine are uh, three and nine months
1: awesome awesome so three yeah. is a, such a great age because yeah. you know they're getting right into that where they're like a little cute little person yeah um, but it's it's great I'll tell you when you're nine months old's gets to be like two or three and you get to really start to see that sisterly bond. Yeah. You know, I remember I, that second, when we had our second daughter, Momo, you know, I was really like amped on having a boy. And not to say I was disappointed, but you know, I was a little like, oh, alright, another girl. It's a guy thing,
0: right? It's a guy thing. <laughs> exactly. You another boy.
1: But when she got to like two and her and Henley, her older sister, were playing with each other and the first time I saw that And they were like really being sisters. I was like the dad in the corner, like ugly face crying, like shaming, (laughs) shaming myself for ever wanting a boy and being like, how could I have deprived my kids of being sisters? And it truly, it's a beautiful thing. So
0: I feel you, man. My, you know, I think I, if I had a son, he'd be a terror. And my little, (laughs) my little girls like run up and give me hugs and cuddle me in bed. And if I had a son, he wouldn't be doing that.
1: My business partner, Josh, he has um, a six-year-old boy, Dylan, and when they come over to my house, I'm like watching this kid. It's like a monsoon coming through. I mean, <laughs> everything is being touched. Everything is like, and our girls are in the corner, like coloring, and they're like <laughs> looking over in fear, like, what's wrong with Dylan? Why is he so crazy? <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's funny how boys and girls are, are wired differently.
0: Yep. Yeah. Let me ask you something so something something I say quite frequently is like you know as a um as a as a business leader, I think eighty percent of our success is predicated on our ability to recruit and select the right talent absolutely and that and that selection process goes deeper than just the interview process it goes into you know when you're you know, you've got them on the team the first couple of months, like making sure you've got the right person on the team. So what, um, what are you doing in the recruiting and selection process to help increase your odds to improve? You have the right people that are going to be able to commit to calling their database and not being afraid to go for no, like what are some of the, the tactics yeah. and nuances you're, you're implementing?
1: Well, you know, here's the thing for us, where we saw a huge success and change in talent is you know, when we really set and defined our team's culture. Okay. And when that vision was clear, where we started to see and get in front of more talented people was within our database. So the people that already knew us and they already understood and experienced, whether it was a past client or a referral partner, when they, you know, when they heard Winebrick Shore Residential, they knew what our culture was. So when we'd call on our database and ask them for introductions saying this is what we're looking for whether it's on the admin side or the sales side the people they were teeing us up with were people that they cared about in their lives and because they knew like hey to that person like chris i'm going to connect you with tommy and this is an unbelievable opportunity because what these guys are doing is amazing and i care about you i want you to be a part of this Versus the paying to put on LinkedIn and indeed and Facebook job market where we were kind of getting a lot of high volume resumes getting put in front of us, but the quality was poor. So we just started fishing in a different part of the lake and we started to catch bigger fish and and more quality from that. But it was all because of we had set and defined what our culture and our vision was. And so our database our 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 fan club they knew it and they because they've experienced and felt it so they were putting the people they cared the most about and it just so ended up being that that was the most talented people uh that we were getting in front of Uh, and that's the thing for us to your point you know really we're at the point too now when people ask like you know what's your goal this year as a team you know, for Josh and myself, we're not leading with like hundred million, 200 units. That's just the result. Right. And that's just a number that a lot of us as realtors, that's what we're used to. For us, our goal is, you know, to net four new people on our team, right? Three people on our sales side and one on our admin. We know we're four people away from getting to those results. So we're fully, when we talk about being a people business, to your point, we're focused on attracting that right talent because we know that talent will get us to where we need to.
0: To net four people, how many do you need to hire and how many interviews do you need to do?
1: That's a great, so my my partner, Josh, is the one that is in charge of our growth of our team, but I would say that we have to grow seven people to net four, um, at least on the sales side. Mm-hmm. The admin talent is, uh, I'd say that we see a lot, you know, um, a lot, a lot, I don't want I don't know, better talents or word, but um, less turnover from that yeah. side.
0: A little more consistency.
1: Yeah. Consistency, there you yeah. go. That, that's yeah. what I was looking for. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. We've experienced very similar thing like finding more, um, you know, finding uh, successful uh, operational staff is much easier than yeah. finding salespeople.
1: But at the same time, I do think, um, I know for a fact the majority of our referrals are coming because of our operational people people because Mm -hmm. they're the ones that are touching our clients the most whether it's just regular follow-up or even throughout the transaction period all all of our reviews you know if you look at them i mean rarely is the sales agent mentioned it's really the admin team and the operation side that are being mentioned and and we like that because they're the ones that are touching our clients at a high level and that's the white glove customer service that people are feeling
0: yeah that's awesome What do you, um, anything in the industry you're scared of, you know, like maybe on an economic, from an economic perspective, maybe from a technology disruptor perspective, like what are some of the things that make you a little nervous? Cause you know, I mean, you know, we, uh, you and I are similar in age, so we've got, you know, a long, long career ahead of us. Um, and I'm I'm just kind of curious, what are the things like in the back of your mind you think about that, um, you know, maybe you're a little concerned about just like with the industry as a whole? If, if that maybe, maybe there's yeah.
1: I'm just curious. No, great question. I'd say that, you know, there are, there is stuff I, you know, but the, the stuff that's, you know, the clickbait on Inman and stuff like that, that's the stuff that I'm not really concerned about. Like, I don't think technology is ever going to replace the human aspect of what we do. Right. Mm-hmm. And all these these disruptions and even like different, you know, brokerage models coming in. I, you know, I don't think that the value of a realtor and, and us as an advisor in, in still the one of the largest transactions in in, in a you know consumers' uh, life, uh, we're 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 still going to be there. Job security is going to be there, so that stuff doesn't really bother me. I'd say really, what um, I think about, uh, and it doesn't bother me. It just for me, it's just how do how are we going to adapt eventually? I don't necessarily think you know we as realtors will be charging what we charge today, five years from now. You know, I do think that um, whether it's tech or other efficiencies or just maybe um, different brokerage models coming in, um, I do think that it's gonna become a little bit more competitive when it comes to that. So I think to really win uh, in the future, it's gonna be um, about profitability for the realtor um, and also, you know, efficiency is being able to do more volume, um, in, in, in a shorter or the same period of time. So, so if
0: I hear you correctly, it sounds, you know, your concerns on, on downward pressure to commissions.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I think that that's been, you know, that's something that really is, ha- hasn't been threatened that much, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the history of our industry and it can fluctuate, you know, within a point, uh, amongst markets. And I think, that, that's something that uh, could be uh, something that changes uh, for us in the future
0: what are you what are you most excited about in in your business in the industry what what have you learned um, you know in the last year or so that you're most excited about executing and implementing on
1: you know you know for us, I think what's changed in um in our world is that you know we've gone from you know the solo agent to you know the popularity of creating a team and I think what the next big evolution is, where a lot of you know some people have gotten and I think more and more people are getting is really graduating from just having a team to having a scalable business mm-hmm. you know a business within the business and I think you know for us what we're looking at is you know kind of like you know um, Walt Disney's you know org chart right where you know the the center of Disney wasn't the theme parks, and that was just an arm of that nucleus. And so that's what really excites me, and what I think is exciting for our industry is that, you know, we're seeing um, some you know big business owners within our industries really looking yeah. at, you know, the re- the business residential transactional side, not the core nucleus of it, just another arm of something bigger. And mm-hmm. so whether it's you know I think you know and this might be wild, but I, I think that. When you do things correctly and you really become that community leader in your markets, you know, if Nike, I'm a big sneakerhead. So if Nike is looking to drop, um, you know, a, a new Chicago based shoe, I think that they're in the future, they're going to reach out to Weinberg Joy and, and say, <laughs> hey, how is the best way to get in front of this group of people, this, you know, neighborhood, this market? Because, you know, we're at the core uh, uh, of this and what's going on. And so, really, this whole idea of being, a Media marketing arm, I really think that's, you know, that's that could be the future of what, what we should all be positioning ourselves to, to be and do.
0: That's awesome. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with my brand ambassador program, but you should totally check this out because, like, something I, I realized about 10 years ago is that as real estate agents and team owners, broker owners, we are ambassadors, we are brand ambassadors for a lot of local businesses 100%. So, and, and I think there's a big value to add for your for your clients for you know, getting the right um, local business owners kind of in your circle. And so, I'm a huge I'm a huge proponent of what you're saying. And I think it's there's so much value contribution there, and and you know there could be so many amazing opportunities with other right. local businesses. So, it's a, I mean, that's
1: the thing. It's like you know, Yelp can tell you that this sushi restaurant is four and a half stars, but you know, in my neighborhood, Sushi Mira, I can tell you what table to sit in because if you sit at the wrong table you might be behind the bathroom you know and it's not going to smell really well so being that community leader and like I said being that that source you know something we always say on our team is to really position ourselves to be the funnel of our networks and be the catch-all beyond mm-hmm. real estate so that we're the source and the influencer that people want to come to because they know we can help connect and, mm-hmm. and you know help solve problems and so uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm all about that. We are, that's, that is what we have to be because the data is already out there now. And so being that ambassador to your, the markets you serve, um, and the businesses, you know, that, that's the, the condo and the bridge.
0: Tommy, this has been an awesome hour. We've gotten to spend together. Um, you've shed in a lot of, uh, very insightful, uh, things with our, our community and, um, if, if, you're, if you're okay with it, I'd love to uh, post in our Facebook group um, some of those metrics and things about the day yeah, sure. marketing you're doing. I'd love Please. to upload that and let people see. I need to um, send you an invite so you can um, you know, be, be in there. And, um, and so if anybody's um, you know, got a referral in, you know, anywhere in the US and they've got somebody moving to Chicago, um, what's the best way for them to reach out to you?
1: Yeah, you can reach out to me. Uh, my email it's tomtom T-O-M, at weinbergchoy.com, W E I N B E R G C H O I.com. I'm sure it's going to be in some sort of link or, or uh, um, you know, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll put that the comment in. section on the bottom. Yep. yep. Um, or you can text me directly, you know, on my cell, 773 851 5840. Or hit me up on social media too.
0: What do you like more, Instagram or Facebook?
1: Instagram. Instagram is, it's short bursts of content for me. Yeah.
0: You know, the thing, I think the thing Facebook has is the groups, right? Like that's kind of yes. competitive advantage. That's groups, which is, and going I think
1: as a company that they're all in on. Cause that's, you know, what, what's their, their mission to connect the world together. Right. And, and mm-hmm. uh, the special interest groups and all that. And that, that is, that's, that's honestly what I use Facebook for really is, is, mm-hmm. is for the groups now.
0: Any conferences you're going to anytime soon? Like any, what? Like, you have like a top, a couple top conferences you like going to,
1: you know, my, my uh, favorite conference is the T3 summit, which uh swan pole, uh, hosts that that's uh, going to be in San Antonio um, in May. Um, outside of that, obviously I, I love all the Keller William conferences. I love going to all the uh, national association realtor conferences, you know, anything real you know, the-
0: estate, any non-real estate conferences you like,
1: Non real estate conferences. You know what? I I I don't. Maybe I need to start uh, branching out. Yeah. Well, do you have any you recommend? I
0: so I'm I really I went to the um, uh, funnel hacking the Russell Brunson funnel okay. hacking conference. That was really good about um, just you know marketing lead generation um, conversion. Just a lot of really cool like tactics on helping optimize cool. that component. Um, You know, I think there's, uh, Russell Brunson has something called the Epiphany Bridge. Okay. And as salespeople, we frequently, you know, uh, get scripts on how to convert, you know, consumers to work with us and use our service. But there's really not a lot of scripting out there to help you inspire your team to like, for example, you know, move towards some specific goal. Or, you know, perhaps like start implementing something, you know, specific to help you reach that goal. And so uh, the Epiphany Bridge script, Russell Brunson got that from a Hollywood writer named, Hol- uh, named Michael Hodge. And okay. um, Michael uh, Hodge is like, you know, contracted out by all these Hollywood filmmakers to audit their script to see if people emotionally buy into the story. And so I think a lot of times as a leader, you're trying to get your team moved to take action, right? To like take action for some specific thing. Um, I don't know if you've read that book, Four Disciplines of Execution. Have you picked that book? I have, yeah. So, you know, it talks in the book about, you know, the wildly important goal, right? And something that's actually not one of the four disciplines of execution um, is, but they talk about in the book, is that this will not be successful if you don't get your team to come up with the idea of buying into the wildly important goal. Yep. And so the um, Epiphany Bridge script, which you guys can just you know look up on Google, is like a great framework and script to help you get your team bought into the wildly important goal.
1: Mm. Love that, love that. So,
0: well, Tommy, thanks so much for being on. I'm gonna add you on the Facebook group. I am going to put your information below. If anybody's looking for uh, uh, a great team to work with in Chicago, I, I know they'll reach out to you. Um, we'll put y'all's website in there too. So thanks for being on the show, Tommy. And, um, I'll probably see you in San Antonio. That's just a couple hours South of me. So I'll probably see you in, um, in May at the T3. Awesome.
1: Looking forward to it. Thank you for having me. I'm really grateful for you.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm grateful for your time and, um, yeah, reach out to me when you get down here. I live like an hour and a half from where the sun will
1: be. So I'll hit you up. Cool.
0: Sounds good, man. All right, man. Take Take care. care.
1: Bye. See ya. Bye-bye. All
0: right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to CEO Secrets today. Um, don't forget we've got a private group uh, called the Chris Waters Rainmaker Alliance if you guys want to check that out you guys can watch the show live and uh, ask questions in the comment section I didn't do a very good job answering questions but I'll get to those uh, after the show's over but um, yeah be sure to check us out on YouTube and iTunes as well all right bye everybody want more CEO secrets if so You can get a free copy of my book, The Million Dollar Real Estate Team at www.themilliondollarrealestateteam.com for free. Inside this book, you'll find my top secrets that we've used to net $1 million in just three years.